here with Dr. Keen, and he's answering questions about using biblical languages. Let's say I've gone through seminary and I know a little bit of uh, uh, Greek and Hebrew, and I'm tasked with uh, preaching a sermon, and now I have access to, you know, to the biblical text. So what should I do? How should I use my knowledge in a way that is profitable in my study, in mm-hmm. my preparation, and also serves the congregation. Let's say, you know, I start a series on Ephesians and I notice that there's one long sentence at the beginning of Ephesians. How should I use that knowledge um, as I preach God's word to the people? Yeah, it's a it's a common question because you spend all this time (laughs) studying the languages, right? And you, you think this should be immediately practical and useful for my congregation and and it and it is i and there's multiple views on this and and so i don't want to be the last word on this subject but i am of the general opinion that you just shouldn't you shouldn't use it in sermons and and maybe maybe in the occasional sunday school depending upon your audience but my general predisposition is, or presupposition is if your audience doesn't know the languages your arguments shouldn't appeal to the languages uh, and the, there are a couple of reasons for that. Uh, and the first is culturally, we've left that kind of era in which uh, um, people are persuaded by, I'm an authority on this subject. Listen to me. You know, that kind of attitude is no longer one that's, I think, is as persuasive, the argument from authority. I mean, it is a logical fallacy, too. Um, <laughs> so, so that it creates this kind of distance between you and your audience, especially in our kind of in our our anti anti intellectual culture, um, and two often, so here's how languages work, right? The languages work by giving you the through the system of grammar and words, words and their meanings through lexicography and grammar. You put together what the sentence means on the basis of the context. So that you're constantly, if you know the languages, you know that the way in which you solve grammatical and lexical problems is context, context, context. It's the context that helps you figure out what this word means. It's the context that helps you figure out how this grammatical phrase is working. Which means that if you're doing your translation well, it's always the context that is generating the solution to the problem, the, the, the evidence that your interpretation is true. Um, so if you're doing your translation well, you're going to be appealing to the context. So 90% of the time in your sermon, you want to make a point. It's usually the context that's going to help you make that point. It's it's the context of the phrase, the word, that is going to help you establish that your interpretation is correct. So it's usually better to appeal to the contextual clues than evidence like this word really means or the genitive phrase here is either an objective or a subjective genitive and because you're going to you're going to solve that problem is should I interpret this in Galatians 2 and Galatians 3 should I interpret faith in Christ as the faithfulness of Christ or having faith in Jesus which one is it the greek is ambiguous i'm going to solve that using the context and that context is going to be hopefully well translated into English. 
And so usually in sermons and, and teaching, I think you should point to that. Where in the surrounding paragraph do we see the solution, the argument, the the true meaning of, of this or that text? So I'm kind of of the persuasion that it it's part of your scratch work, hmm. not your final presentation. Um, kind of like you, 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 if you get somebody to do your taxes, which sounds as luxurious, I might try that someday. So you get somebody to do your taxes for you. You want them to just do it and come to the correct answer. You don't, you don't need to see all the math, right? And you certainly don't want them to sit through and walk through all the math with you. Like, or, you know, a contractor doing doing your house. You don't need to see all of the math that they did. You just want that wall to be straight and flat and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, they're doing math and you're trusting that it's getting done. Um, in a similar way, you should be doing exegesis from the languages and that exegesis kind of has your back. There's this material behind your sermon that buttresses it and keeps it afloat and um, and establishes its truthfulness. But not all of that is going to show up in your presentation, in your final form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a sense, it's analogous to using commentaries, right? So mm-hmm. you you don't want to you know, slap a bunch of quotations in your sermon to show that you read all these, yeah. all these smart people. Um, but you want to condense that and present that in a way, you know, that... <laughs> But yeah. respectful of the time and the and, right. the and the kind of audience that you have in front of you. So Which you do is, your work, but you 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 know you show it um, in a I don't know humble and pastoral way, not yeah. in a in a, um, in a way that exalts you as like super smart and you know right. And I think what you end up doing there is both pragmatic, but it's also it it actually has a teaching effect. So when I when I say what this what this Greek term you know um, archegon what archegon really means in the original language if you if you knew the languages like I do you would know that archegon is this deep and rich word that really means and um, um, uh, some, uh, <laughs> I'm now trying yeah, this is like one of my dissertation words so I should know what it means like. It's the word that's tra- uh, that's translated in Hebrew as um, the founder and perfecter, mm-hmm. founder or pioneer, pioneer. or yeah. champion of Author. your. If you know what it really means, um, so you can you could take that approach. But what your your two things happen there? First, it's ultimately an argument from authority, so they just have to trust you mm-hmm. um, because they don't know the languages and they can't verify. And two, what you're teaching them is in order to know what the Bible really means, you have to know this magic called Greek and this ma- the magic of Greek and the magic of Hebrew. Um, and there's a kind of subtle lie there about how Greek and Hebrew actually work. Mm-hmm. I mean, archegon, it's not used very often in the New Testament, but it's a normal word. It's, 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 there's no magic to it. It's, it's an ordinary word. And we figure out what it means by how it's ordinarily used at that time. That requires history and philology and all of these kinds of things. Um, But those are all ordinary tools. Um, 
If by contrast, you know, I ignore the kind of magic and I talk about, look how high, look how highly our author in Hebrews thinks about Jesus. He's the great high priest. He's the champion. He's the, you know, and I pick all of the descriptors that contextually that are used to describe Jesus. And I, and I present that to my audience. I'm actually doing something that they can reproduce something that they have access to. They have access to the rest of scripture. And they so they see actually more deeply and you're honing their skills as interpreters. You're showing them how we come to this conclusion. The word archegon could have never occurred there and we'd still come to the same conclusion that Jesus is the forerunner, the champion, the great high priest, the chief, um, you know, all of these kinds of things. Um, that the context is determining meaning and the paragraph bears the weight of exegesis, not the word, not the phrase. And you're actually, if you do it this way, you actually teach them that you train them in that. Uh, so I think there's, there's a lot of advantages to rarely, let's say, appealing to the languages. Mm-hmm. There's still that 10% where you really, 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 really want to um, I remember my first sermon series was on First Peter. We got to First Peter 3, 18 through 22. There was some point, I don't even remember what it was, but there was some point that I needed to make. This is like one of the most challenging passages in the New Testament. And I was like, okay, well, if there's anywhere that I can mention the languages, it's here. And so I did. I mentioned some grammatical point. I don't remember what it was. And a congregant came up to me afterwards and said, I guess you don't like the ESV. Which Bible translation should I be using? And I just like sort of groaned inwardly because this is it's like God <laughs> confirming my thesis that <laughs> the only time I mention the languages in a sermon, somebody comes up with the wrong conclusion about about my intent um, that I was dissing the ESV for some reason. So. I think you train your people to read scripture in a more ordinary and organic way if you don't show your don't show that level don't show your work with that level of granularity. Show them the context, the paragraph, preach from paragraphs and still larger chunks and and not from the lexicon. Thanks. Hmm? It's good stuff.